welcome back to the Saving Delaware History Podcast. This is your host, Madeline Messer, and today we're joined by the Cultural Resources Research Center Manager, Jennifer Anderson Reno. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So could you just tell us what the CRIS system is? Um, CRIS is the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs, State Historic Preservation Offices, Cultural and Historical Resources Information System. It is a geographic information set system, um, the acronym being GIS. So GIS, it's a computer system that stores and displays geographically referenced spatial and non-spatial data, which can come in all forms, um, tabular forms, such as spreadsheets, different types of imagery, um, video, photographs, G- GPS data that can be sent in, um, and in some cases, 3D modeling and data collected in real time, which is a little more advanced than our current system, but things that you know may be integrated someday in the future. The primary components of any GIS system are the locational database in which each record is given a unique ID, referencing that record to a specific geographic location and connected applications, which allow users to manipulate, analyze and visualize the data. Um, such as the public and password protected maps connected to our system. Really, it's a geographic system that allows data to be presented visually. What kind of data does CRIS feature? CRIS features cultural resource data primarily collected through survey, the majority of which comes from work carried out in compliance with federal historic preservation legislation or state, county, or local codes. Um, It includes a variety of resources, all those resources that have been surveyed for potential eligibility to the National Register, resources that were both those that were determined to be eligible, but also those that were reviewed, but maybe they weren't determined eligible, but they're still included. The federal government requires that any projects that are completed with federal money, they need to have a survey done ahead of them. So all of that survey gets put into our system. National Register surveys of individual properties performed at the request of a property owner or of entire districts at the request of local leaders and community preservation groups are also a significant source of the data. Um, Some of the data has has come from projects initiated by the SHPO, such as ongoing such as an ongoing cemetery mapping project. And occasionally the data is contributed by staff independent of any project. Um, I think it's here, it's important to note that just because a property is not listed in CRIS does not mean that it isn't historically significant. It may um, not be listed only because survey has not been done in that area where the resource is located, or it may have been missed in a previous survey. For example, um, most surveys have, there's a sort of 45 year for national register surveys. So a lot of surveys that were done in the area, some of them were done in the 1980s and resources at that time wouldn't have been considered eligible, but there, there hasn't been a survey done since then. But if they were to come back now, they would be included. So that's not to say they weren't, at the time they were surveyed, they wouldn't have been eligible, but when you come back, they would be. So a lot of the times when there's things that aren't listed, it's just because a newer survey hasn't been done. So 
um, standards for survey tend to, they follow the National Park Services National Register guidance. Um, each resource is identified by a CRS number, which starts with the county initial, followed by a five digit inventory number. General data, such as the name, address, location, property type, which would include um, based on National Register um, property types, building structure, object, or site. The name, and sometimes that's a given name if it's a, if a, it's a place that named like Winterthur, but if it's just a house or a dwelling, it would be dwelling or agricultural complex. The address or location. And year built if known. Uh, the status if it has been determined eligible or ineligible for the National Register, or if it's been determined to have historic landmark status, it's displayed in a pop-up on the map. Users may also find survey forms, photo cards, and occasionally other types of materials, such as newspaper clippings or research files attached to the Chris Point, all of which can be downloaded. Um, Chris also features phase one identification and phase two evaluation survey layers. Um, phase one, that, that really refers to the level of the survey being done um, when, a, when a first project is first done, they go out, they do a identification level survey. And that's really sort of scanning a broader, a, a large broad area for potentially, for potential resources. And then after that's reviewed, um, the researcher or the reviewer may come back to say, there's certain resources that stand out. So they go back out for a phase two and do an evaluation on select resources that they feel like need to be further studied. Um, so we have two layers and they're um, drawn, they're depicted with a polygon boundary which shows the entire area surveyed. And then there's a report linked which can also be downloaded. Um, other features to note are the different types of base maps which are brought into Chris from open sources such as Delaware's face, first map system one that stands out to me is the aerial imagery from surveys that have been flown from 1937 to 2017, which portray changes in the landscape over the last 80 plus years. Um, you know, for example, the area of Price's Corner, you can see that in 1937, it's all like farmland, it's very rural. And then if you get into the 50s and 60s, you see communities that are built up there. It looks like a, you know, a lot of residential neighborhoods, but then, you know, a few years later, you've got a shopping center and a lot of those residential neighborhoods were basically um, demolished and a highway was put through them. I mean, now it's actually growing again. So I mean, I'm curious because I know that whenever I see that area, I kind of tend to look at what 202 looks like because I imagine that 202 once looked a lot like the area of Price's Corner. So they're, you know, they've put in a whole bunch of new businesses and I, I kind of wonder for that area and if one day Kirkwood Highway will look a lot like 202. And then there's also other informative layers you can find on there, such as a Sussex County Mills layer that you can overlay on the map. Uh, uh, Chris also has a measure tool and a buffer tool that will return results of anything inside the buffer in spreadsheet view and um, print tools. Then also professional consultants have access to a password protected map, which includes confidential archeological information. What are the values of managing our historical and cultural data 
in this GIS system? Um, for our users, one is the ability to view the data online, which can't be overstated. Say previously, if you wanted to see our data, it required you making an appointment to come in and visit our office. We'd have to pull the data for you. You go through it all, you get a photocopy. And now we're one of our big projects is really getting this online so that when you want to see the data, you just pull it up and you can see it. Um, ability to quickly identify resources. One of the most important parts of our job is protecting the resources, being able to quickly identify uh, resources that may be in a threatened area. It's an invaluable tool for layering and analyzing complex data. We have county parcel information. We have various boundaries. You can put in political boundaries and municipal boundaries. You can look at water flow lines and transportation lines. Um, you can put on the, some of the National Historical Trails, Delaware Historic Byways, which is a program by DelDOT. We have their, their mapping on there. We have measuring and print tools for people who prefer a paper map. You can make the map you want and print it out. You can measure in feet and miles if you want to know the distance of something. You can put different types of maps together. So whereas in the with a paper map, you might be looking at you know, a topographic map with data on top of say a landform or a street map and data with the GIS system, you can superimpose these things together so that you can have your street map and your topographic map together. Plus, you know, maybe you've collected data on, you know, the number of mills and you can look at, you know, different types of data that you might be looking for. And you can see patterns where you can see the, where the streets and the topography meet. It's a tool for layering and analyzing the data, being able to represent it visually with patterns and clusters that would stand out. It's important for predictive modeling. You can look at the probability of threat to resources in terms of um, something such as sea level rise, where you've have models com coming in and you have your resources on the map and you can predict the different levels of sea level and where they would affect those resources. One of the benefits of GIS is really the ability to spot unanticipated patterns that inspire new research. I would say the first really well-known example of mapping and patterns was by 1854 Broad Street cholera epidemic. It's a John Snow, who would be one of the first epidemiologists. He was incredibly concerned about the a cholera outbreak in, in London, and particularly in this area, the Soho area of London. And at the time, he suspected that the outbreak had to do with the water and Nobody believed him. Um, that wasn't the comp at the time. It wasn't the common theory to believe it was the water. They thought it traveled through the air, and he he was convinced. So he went and he collected the data. He went to the offices and he found out who went to the the wells. Um, he found out where people had been. He and he documented it, 
And he, he also documented there were people who were getting sick who hadn't been to the well, but he found that they had gone to a restaurant and the restaurant was using water from the well. He also made of people in the area who didn't get sick. And he found out that they were getting their water from another source. And despite all his evidence, people really still didn't believe him until there was a minister who was attempting to prove him wrong. And in doing so actually proved him right. The point is all this data that he collected and he mapped helps him to answer this question. And in history, there's not always John Snows out there. But with GIS, it kind of helps us to be a little bit more like the Jon Snow. It gives us the chance to see all of this data, to take other people's data of where people got sick and where things are happening. We've seen this with COVID lately, collecting all of that data and really putting it out in a way that people can see. And that's the thing with mapping and GIS too, is that it's one thing to put out data, but it's another thing to put it into a system where people can see it and understand it. Having it in, in a chart or a graph doesn't always appeal and doesn't get people's attention, but in a map, it makes so much more sense. And when you can put that in with real-time data, so you can see things moving and see patterns changing, that really catches people's eye. How can the public register a location in this system? Um, the public does not have the ability to add a location to Chris at this time. Um, if a public user is concerned that a specific resource has not been documented, um, I would like to add it to the Chris. The best option is to call or email the research center and explain why they think it should be added. Um, most often, we do get these calls regularly. Most often when we are contacted, it is someone who's concerned about a property they know that a demolition has been approved for and they just wanna see it documented before it's gone. Other times it's someone who's actually looking at their own property and they wanna know why their own property hasn't been recorded. And um, so usually it's for demolition, occasionally it's for somebody who really wants to know about their own property and wants to see if they can get their own property added. Um, if the public user provides some basic information and photographs, um, as long as it fits the criteria, um, there's a good chance we will create a record for that resource, let's say 45 years or so. Esri, which is the company that designs so much who really is basically spurs all of this technology and GIS. It offers simple applications designed for public submissions. So that is something we may consider in the future. What is the future of Chris? So the current version of Chris was designed primarily to meet the goals of openness and accessibility. And that works really well. I mean, it makes Chris makes it possible for researchers to access data immediately and at their own convenience so that it is no longer necessary for researchers to make an appointment and visit the research center in person to obtain the data they're interested in. And the goal of providing accessibility won't change. I mean, we're still, we're, that's still an ongoing project trying to get all of the data and perform the quality control of the existing data. And a lot of the data was first mapped on paper and then was moved into Chris. So, as we go through, we find things that may have been mapped incorrectly and we're doing constantly doing quality control to make sure that 
things are in the right locations where they belong. We're actually, you know, adding new tools to that end that makes it easier to filter all of the data that we're putting in. Right now, the reports, we have a lot of reports in there, but there's no real good filters. So it's sort of like a little bit of a little bit of a spaghetti drop on there and you have to sort of zoom into the area you want to look at. But the next version of Chris by say October should include some filters that will make it easier to find what you want to see and to, you know, filter out the ones you don't. So, and then there'll be some training on how we can try to perform bulk bulk uploads of some of the secured confidential layers and trying to do more uploading so that we get a lot more of that data on for people to be able to see it. Um, And thinking about the long-term future goals, one may be to incorporate a a public submission tool into the system. Right now, researchers, they put their submissions on sort of a temporary layer where we review them and add them. So there may be something we can do with that where the public could submit to a temporary layer where we could review them. And, and maybe it would be a matter of them, their actual submission going on or just being able to show us what we should look at and just using that layer to get an idea of what people would like us to look at. Um, and then another goal maybe to add new categories of data that could be filtered to find resources, um, filters like cultural significance um, theme types such as entertainment, industry, education. Um, that we do have historic context in the office where you know things like you know like related to the history of Delaware. So it'd be good to be able to kind of take those contacts we have and put them in a way where people could filter them, and then to think about new types of contexts that are, are of interest now. Um, As GIS continues to expand the types of data formats that can be incorporated into the database, we may have more of those, add audio and visual type data. Um, We will certainly be adding more story maps in the future. Currently, we have one story map on Chris, and uh, story maps are web projects that GIS users can build a slide presentation using their data and incorporate paragraphs of text, audiovisual media, and web links to tell a story. And um, right now, Chris has one example, which is the outcomes of sea level rise on Delaware's historic properties. This particular example includes an embedded video and analytic maps highlighting cultural resources that will be affected by the one, three, and six foot, will be affected by one, three, and six feet of sea level rise as well as links to different websites that you can go to from there. Um, We may create products that highlight the work of SHPO staff and preservation accomplishments. Cultural resource professionals have been, you know, using GIS in a lot of different ways. Um, They've been using GIS to track changes to resources. For example, you know, when when the hurricane comes through and properties are damaged. They may track, you know, that that storm damage, or they may track just demolition in general. Um, predictive modeling, again, for storms or predictive modeling for where they're seeing, you know, more business coming in and where they think there might be an impact due to, you know, suburbanization in an area. 
they're using GIS to analyze and share statistics from their agencies and businesses. So, you know, with funding and where they're giving out funding, some of that is starting to really be tracked into GIS. So there's so many uses of GIS besides just doing the inventory of the cultural resources. There's new uses that have to do with, you know, documenting, protecting both the federal and the state government have really been pushing these sort of initiatives for efficiency and accountability. And GIS really has the ability to do that. So there are many possibilities for the future of Chris. Nationally, cultural resource professionals have been finding a variety of new uses for GIS, including predictive modeling, recording storm damage, and tracking physical changes to resources and for project review. So it's possible that SHPO may choose to utilize some of the tools of GIS for these uses as well. And all of these uses may not fit into CRIS. So a future option may be, may be a, the development of a DHCA or SHPO hub site. And from with the hub site platform, which is designed to maximize, maximize engagement, communication, collaboration, and data sharing, it may be that Chris becomes incorporated into a larger GIS system with other tools for other parts of cultural resources management. And how can people access Chris right now? So the easiest way is just typing Delaware Chris into a search engine. It will usually be the first or second result. And if you click on that link, it will take you to the homepage. To the left, there is a link under most popular, uh, Chris National Register Listed Properties, or you can scroll to the bottom where there is a link under the image of the map. And the map can also be accessed from the Division of Historical and Cultural Affairs under the Learn tab. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for giving us all these resources to explore and for taking the time to be on the podcast today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.